Welcome to Ashland New Plays Festival Play for Keeps conversation series, where theater artists share stories, news, and insights into their work. Now let's meet today's guests. Hello, my name is Ian August. I am one of the winning playwrights of this year's Ashland New Plays Festival with my play Zero. Uh, I'm also uh, grateful to be one of uh, the uh, a returning playwright as my play The Excavation of Mary Anning was one of the winning plays in 2018. Uh, and also my play Donna Orbits the Moon is currently one of our Play for Keeps podcasts. So you can get to know my work in a number of different ways. Um, I am happy to be here today uh, with my friend and fellow playwright and fellow two-time AMPF winner, David Hilder. Uh, David, want to just say a little bit about yourself? Oh, all right. Hi. Um, I am a winner this year with my play, Those Days Are Over. Um, and my previous win was 10 years ago. In 2010, that's just, boy, I mean, I think March feels like another lifetime ago, let alone a decade hence. 10 years ago, I'm pretty sure you were only like 11. I was 11. You're very um, young. No, I was not young then, and I'm even less not young now. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, I'm so happy to be back, even if things are virtual and the world is uh, so strange and a lot of things are on screens now, but how great that this festival is still happening, right? Yes. I, David and I go way back, and by way back, I mean probably around the first time he won AMPF. Um, he met, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but you were friends with uh, are the previous host That's playwright. Ex- that is exactly right. Yes. E.M. Lewis. Uh, E.M. Lewis. Yes. I uh, met her at Ashland New Place Festival. And then E.M. Lewis received a fellowship here in Princeton. And I am a New Jersey playwright. Uh, David is a New York playwright. Uh, but while Ellen was in Princeton, she joined my playwriting group. We became friendly. And that's how I met uh, David. He came yeah, and directed. She, she invited me in very generously. Everybody was, everybody in that group was so warm and lovely. That was, oh, it was a that facade. Was really, that was really, well, I know it was all lies, but was I'll, I'll all take lies. a lie. I'll was, take a polite lie, Ian. I mean, it, we were only polite to your face. I mean, let's be honest. Well, I get that a lot. So that's kind of fun brand. You do, you do have a face that I want to be nice to. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to say have a face you want to punch, <laughs> which would which would also be fair. I, I maybe both are true. Yes. All right, uh, Ian. Will you tell me a little bit about uh, about Zero? Have you read it? Uh, no, I haven't read it. Oh, I'm actually deliberately not reading it because I want to experience it in the festival. Well, I am. I am also deliberately not reading your play. Those days are over, so that I can experience it in the festival, and also because I haven't read it yet. Um, zero is uh, zero is a, a kind of a dark comedy. Uh, it is about a group of teenagers at a reform school in uh, somewhere in the forests of of Connecticut uh, who discover a bottomless pit behind the school, and one of them realizes that uh, they can sort of solve their problems by throwing things into the pit. Um, of course, throwing things into the pit causes uh, an assortment of other problems that they had not considered. Uh, it's uh, a little magic realistic. It's a little punk. Uh, it's uh, got plenty of four-letter words for those who like four-letter words. I love a four-letter word. Me too. The more uh, Anglo-Saxon, the better. <laughs> uh, and it's, uh, 
uh, yeah, it was one of those things that was a play that came out of me wanting to do something that was uh, a narrated piece. It's a narrated piece. Uh, and uh, finding the right subject matter. I've had this idea of like a bottomless pit for a while and wasn't really sure what to do with it. And then zero just kind of came up. That is awesome. Now, so you are, you are a teacher, is that correct? No. No, it's not? I mean, like, I... do? Okay, so, like... I'm sure you were a teacher. I'm so sorry. No, no, I'm, 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 uh... So I do occasionally teach at, like, the local adult school, and I Mm -hmm. teach, um, but I actually work, I work at a boarding school, uh, with... Okay. Yeah, so I live and work at a boarding school. I currently live in a, uh, in an apartment on the side of the the girls' dormitory. Um, it's a co-ed school, but my husband and I, my husband teaches here, and I work for student activities, planning various events for the kids to do on Saturday nights. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so I'm, I'm like around teenagers a lot. Uh, that is not necessarily where the inspiration from this piece came from, but it also yeah, I mean, is. That's, that, was my, that was my next question, because I, I know you are uh, school-adjacent. Um, yes. I wondered if there, were, if there was something to you know, your personal geography that, that spoke to, that, that uh, woke up this bottomless pit idea. Well, you know, uh, as, as an employee of a boarding school, I'm, I don't feel really comfortable writing about boarding school life, but I figure writing about reform school life might be just as interesting. It's still the same kind of closed community. Um, think in terms of uh, Harry Potter, right? And, and Hogwarts, I guess. Um, we're like Hogwarts, but without the magic. Like our dorms are called houses. There is a house cup competition. Uh, there are house points that are given. Um, it's uh, and every everybody sort of has uh, an affiliation with their house. There's like a loyalty to your house. There's house flags and house shirts and house pride. And um, uh, so there, it is very much like the boarding schools you think of when you are watching movies about boarding schools. But at the same time. It's 2020 and kids are kids, no matter whether they go to a, a public school or a boarding school or, you know, kids are, are pretty much the same everywhere. Some of them are amazing and some of them are not. I, th- I think that's a good way yeah. of putting that. Um, yeah. But your play, Those Days Are Over, is about, is about these five sisters. Well, can yes. you tell us a little bit about them? Because I'm so curious. Uh, yeah, so I, I'm going to back up a little bit. Um, so my the play I wrote before those days are over, I had um, I was thinking to put together just a table read of it for myself. And I had to cast a woman in her 40s who could be very, very funny and also like turn on a dime and, and uh, access some really deep pathos. And, and so I was just sort of, rummaging through my mental casting list and I started writing names down and (laughs) the list was very long because of how many absolutely amazing uh, female actors I know who are over 40 and have this depth of ability that is uh, so impressive to me. So then I determined that the next play I was going to write would be for them, for, you know, not all of them, but for, for a group of, of women. So I love that. I didn't, didn't quite know how it would pan out, but um, the awesome people at Brooklyn Generator um, reached out to me and invited me to write with them. And that basically you have a 
conversation uh, with a group of actors and a director, and then three and a half weeks later, you have a public reading of whatever you've written. Um, so that's how this play started. And, and um, so it turned into a family story, five adult sisters who are, who are uh, estranged from each other for the most part. And uh, they come together um, in the wake of their mother's death. Did you write a, a full draft of this play in three and a half weeks? I wrote a full draft of the play in 10 days. That is and, insane. And I say that not to show off, not to show off. But, but then I spent two weeks, um, you know, <laughs> taking that and being like, all right, well, let's now let's fix this or begin. Let's begin to fix it. Is that, the, your, is that your normal process? Is, are you usually uh, sit down? crank out a draft as quickly as possible and then go in and massage and work and rework and rewrite? Uh, boy, what a good question. I, it depends on the play. I yeah. would love for that to be my, my process all the time. I find when that happens, it's, those are my most successful plays. Mm. Um, I mean, I wrote the first draft of my play drown, which you're familiar with. I love uh, that play. Thank you. I wrote that first draft very quickly. Also I think I wrote that in, in less than a month. There is, uh, there is, we were talking about this earlier about how uh, I saw a reading of Drown in, uh, in New York, I don't know how many years ago, but it definitely. That was 2013. 2013. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there were, there are pieces of Drown, half of the play of Drown takes place uh, under the ocean, at the bottom of the ocean. Anyone who's familiar with my play, The Excavation of Marietta, knows that I generously I that stole and cheated. That's right. I did. I, <laughs> I, 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 I put the word generously in front of it, but it's not like I deliberately like just I was like, this is a great idea. I need to I need to play with this idea. And of course, it's totally different. Like what happens of in my course. play? Oh, it's totally yours, but, different. Yeah, but there was definitely when you finished reading it, I was like, huh? Did you appreciate my homage to Drown? Like, did you? <laughs> I thoroughly did. <laughs> uh, I really like that play. Yeah. I, I, you know, this is, so this is interesting. I guess there's the larger question of how do you come up with an idea for a play? And I don't think that for me, that question cannot be answered. It's just, you know, it's such a, says something, right? Right. It's such a weird, like a confluence of all of these different things in your life that like come together to form a play. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Zero um, was was a nightmare to write, though, just to like finish the idea of like writing really quickly. Yeah, it was. A, it how? was. Um, I had a lot of trouble with the tone of the piece. I had a, I had trouble knowing what I wanted the tone of the piece to be, and so I sat down to try to write a first draft. And I I I gave myself a weekend. I was like, I'm going to bake off this thing. Like, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write this play in like 48 hours. Amazing. Well, people I got, can do it. People Some can. people do that. <laughs> Uh, I got through about like 50 pages of it, which is a sizable amount. I mean, that's a significant chunk of play. Yes, it is. And realized, oh, this is, this is children's theater. Like I'm, I'm, I'm writing children's theater. I'm writing this story. I'm making, figuring out this story and who these characters are, but this feels very juvenile and there's nothing wrong with writing work for younger oh, God, audiences. Of course not. And yeah, I, certainly not. I do that too sometimes, but this, I didn't want this to be that. Um, and so I started, I scrapped it and I started again from scratch and really, and so I got about three scenes in and I realized I was falling into the same trap. 
it was slightly more complex. It was slightly different characters. It was a different way of, of uh, telling the story, but it was still feeling not like I wanted it to feel. Okay. And so uh, every day before writing the draft that ended up being the draft that, that we're reading with the festival. Right. Um, every day I would sit down and listen to um, my chemical romance. They're a, a punk pop band from the early two thousands. Yes. Yes. Uh, they have a really fantastic album called the black parade. And the, the lead singer of that went on to write comics. He's the, the creator of the umbrella Academy, which is that show on Netflix. That's been oh, doing sure. so well. Yeah. 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 Um, so uh, I, the songs of my chemical romance, occasionally listening to panic at the disco, occasionally listening to uh, green day sort of inspired the feel of the piece. And every day I like an actor preparing to do a part. I had to charge my, brain up by listening to these songs kind of nihilistic angry teenager songs mm -hmm. in order to get into the headspace of these characters and uh yeah so it took me it took me quite a while to actually get a draft like done um that's interesting yeah i found so i found that those days are over because i was writing that initial draft for specific people boy that helps mm -hmm. It would help me in 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 that in that instance. Um, it really just it's part of why I think that process went that initial process went so quickly. I think that's amazing, though. Um, I mean, even, a, even when I write quickly, I don't write that quickly. Like it takes me a couple of months to actually get the words on paper. Yeah. And well, and you know, and again, sometimes that's true for me too. And I or I might like do that rush of work and then take time away before i can go back and yeah. look at it with anything like objectivity i think zero um, took six months that's not it? that long it felt long <laughs> it felt like forever because you want the words to just kind of flow out like water right i mean you want the, oh yeah you want it to feel like dictation ah, yeah. where it's just like the characters are speaking and everything the is best. just coming out and your fingers are flying and like you're like uh -huh. oh well, i wrote three scenes today and like that was not this case this was like I wrote half a page and I need to take a break. <laughs> that's, I, I mean, that is like, that's what, that, that is why writers write. So to, to get that, that crack high of feeling like you're just, you uh, know, the, the universe is working through your fingertips and all you're doing is, you know, you are the vessel for the, for the story. I, I feel like it happens so much, uh, like less frequently as I get older. Like that I'm thinking about the the work in a different way and I'm thinking about craft in a different way and it's preventing me from just sitting at the computer and bleh, like letting it all just kind of fall out. Right. I also love, I mean, do you ever write to a prompt? Because I find prompts very helpful. Prompts or um, sometimes rules. I love rules. I am not a fan of prompts. Like I, I love working within constraints but I don't love, I don't, I don't want someone else to generate an idea for me. That's not to say that I don't find prompts like super useful in writing classes and sometimes just as exercises, but I don't think I've ever used a prompt to kind of spawn a full length play. Yeah, I don't, well, I don't know that I have either, but just for short mm -hmm. work, I find it a good, you know, brain loosener or something. <laughs> I, I like I like a prompt. Um, My brain is pr plenty loose. 
I don't know that um, I need more to loosen up my brain. I beg your pardon. It's a very loose brain. It's a family show. Is it? No, it's not. No, it's not. My brain is loose. Um, your brain is loose, dude. Yeah. It keeps um, swishing around. Yeah. You know, so did you act first? I did. Yeah. Did Can you know all... that? No, I did not know that. Oh, yeah. I just, I, that's the gateway drug. I get all the drug references, by the way, as I sit here, you know, tidily sipping my glass of water. But um, no, I mean, that's, that's, I think acting is how so many of us. Well, I was doing okay. I, I mean, as an actor, I was getting a lot of voiceover work and I was doing a lot of stage work. And most of the stage work I was doing was relatively new. Um, but uh, it, it was a very expensive hobby. It wasn't a hobby. It was a career. I was pounding the pavement in New York and I was going on auditions. But at the end of the day, it was just uh, really challenging to stay engaged. I was taking a lot of acting work for the money. I know that that sounds like a weird thing to say, considering it's one of those jobs that you don't get paid a lot for. But when you don't get paid a lot to do something, you'll take anybody who has a who flashes a paycheck in front of your face. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I was, uh, I basically had done a series of, uh, really challenging new works, two musicals and a play, um, in the span of a year. And it was, uh, they were not challenging for good reasons. Like they were challenging because they were difficult environments to work in. They That's were challenging no because the material no was was not great to 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 play. Okay, um, all right. So I, I'm not calling anybody out here, but it was uh, it definitely during that time I had had my first sort of playwriting success. Um, back in the day, you probably remember this because you're a New Yorkie. Uh, there was a festival called the SPF. And oh, it was, absolutely. So SPF started at Theater Row and then ended up moving to the public. It was the brainchild of Ariel Tepper Madover. Ariel Tepper, right? sure. Uh, and uh, basically, it was when I did it, it was 16 plays uh, selected to each get a two week rehearsal and a one week workshop run in one of the five theaters in Theater Row mm -hmm. on 42nd yep. Street off Broadway. That was. Was that old theater row or was that new theater row then? It was just brand very, new. Just to get really architectural. It was with everybody who's listening to us. It was brand new theater the, row. The, like, the new, new ones, right? It when was, it was just open. Right? It was new, new, and it was beautiful, and it was clean, yeah. and it was absolutely yep. gorgeous. And uh, I had been sending out my, my first play called Missing Celia Rose. I'd been sending it out, sending it out, sending it out. And I was getting responses back from folks saying things like, Hey, yeah, we would love to do your play. All you have to do is give us like $2,000 or $3,000 or, or produce it yourself. And I was, a, I was working after, like I was temping, like I did not have any kind of money to throw behind a play. And when, when SPF called and said, we want to do your play, I said, I I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And they said, oh no, we're going to give you $10,000. <laughs> God, I'm trying to picture what that must feel like. And I, I coming up empty. I was sort of beside myself. Now, now that is amazing. That That's ten, really great. That ten thousand dollars had to pay the actors uh, who were yeah. all working equity yeah. minimum. Had to pay mm -hmm. for the set. Had to pay for costumes, yeah. props, anything that you needed. And my my play ended up being a ten. It was a ten actor play. It was a ten character play, and there was no way to pare it down. So I didn't get any of that ten thousand dollars. In fact, no. But you weren't spending money. I ended up spending money. I ended up oh, having to spend. A, I think about another grand on various 
things, but it was an incredible experience. And it was one of, it was the first time that I felt like, oh, this is something, this is something I can do. Like, this is something that I feel uh, so pleased about and um, so proud of it. There was not a role in there that I could have played as an actor. And so being able to watch uh, these incredible performers uh, do my work with the voices that I heard in my head was just extraordinary. I was like, ah. Um, and then, then I acted in one more show in New York, and it was uh, a bit of a mess. And I thought, okay, I don't need to do that anymore. Yeah, it's interesting. So I remember so clear. I mean, with a bell-like clarity, I remember the moment when I knew I was no longer going to act. Mm -hmm. um, and I was in a show at the time. Uh, it was an evening of short pieces. And I will say, I loved the pieces I was in. And I loved the people I was working with. Like everything about it was, was really great. And I was having an awesome time. And I was on the subway going to the theater for some performance or other within the run of the show. And unbidden from the back of my head, I think, Ugh, do I have to go there again? Huh. And then I heard that question. I was like, oh, well, yes, I, I do have to right now. But then I don't have to again right. after the show is done. And it was so clarifying because yeah. at that point I was, I, so I acted first and then I started directing, which I still do. And then I started writing and three things was too many things for me. Uh, I think some people can probably just do everything. And I, I am jealous of them. <laughs> um, but I, but I was like, it's too many things when I'm doing one, I feel like I'm taking away from the other two. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it was so, it was such a blessing that I had, that I ended with a piece I was really enjoying doing. Um, it felt entirely like my decision. Now, let's be clear. It's not that the world was clamoring to see me on stage or screen. <laughs> it was, you know, I'm not sure it was noticed by anybody but me, but I was really happy that that, uh, I don't know, to get the siren, to hear the siren call of you don't have to do this anymore. It, the same thing. I was sitting in, uh, it was the show I did after the SPF. It was this uh, um, musical for the Nymph Festival. Oh, yeah. Uh, New York Musical Theater Festival. And uh, I was like the last person kind of brought in. Like they needed somebody and the producer knew me. She'd come and seen the show and uh, uh, at, at uh, Theater Row. And she was like, Ian, I think this is right for you. Like, come out and audition for it. So I auditioned for it. I got in. I was basically a glorified ensemble member who also had to play a, a, a Brooklyn tough. Um, <laughs> yeah. So typecasting. Yeah, exactly. Um, Clearly. But, uh, but everyone in the room with me, all of the other actors out of the 12 of us, all had Broadway credits to their name. Mm. And we were sitting in the backyard of the producer's house, which is where we rehearsed. And I just remember it was so disorganized and so uh, just, it just didn't, it wasn't exciting. I was just waiting for my chance to go in there and sing two ahs. You know, I mean, it was just <laughs> like, that's, that's what I was driving in from New Jersey every day, finding a place to park in midtown Manhattan. I mean, like it was just, uh, 
yeah, it was, it was just this moment of like, oh, I, I chose to do this. I chose for sure. I chose to be here right now and I've got to see this through and I'm happy to do my best and, and I'm happy to see this through. But when it's done, I think, I think I want to feel like that thing I felt when my play was performed. I, I want to feel like I'm acting all of the parts and that all of the parts are worth something. Oh my God. That's exactly it. It's we're they're all us. Yeah. Right. All those characters, every single person that we write is us. <laughs> Just a secret to the to the audience, the listening uh, audience at large. I Any character that. a playwright writes is the playwright. And two thirds of my characters are David Hilder. Well, you're very generous. They're I very, don't, I don't deserve two thirds of your time. They're very but, tall. Um, they're very tall. They're I'm very quite tall, tall, everyone. Yeah, um, it's true. Um, yeah, I, I. So you know, I when I was acting. One of the things I did was I was a reader at a lot of auditions, um, which I really enjoyed doing. And um, particularly one casting office, they they would bring me in a bunch of times and, you know, give me this this tiny pittance. I mean, you talk about acting for not much money. Oh, yeah. But but then I got to meet. Un- I met unbelievable people. I met great directors. Um, it's how I built my relationship with the director, Doug Hughes, whom I have assisted a number of times, including on Broadway twice and, uh, and off Broadway several times. And, uh, you know, there were many good things about being a reader, but the best thing for me was I got to read all of these characters and characters I would never, ever be cast in. Yeah. But I got to do them like okay. for a whole day. I'd get to inhabit the skin of these other people. That was super fun. And there was never any threat that I'd actually have to do it. Right. But that's something, there's something so exciting about sitting down and writing a play and realizing, oh, there is not, there is not a me in this group of characters. Like there is not a role that I would feel comfortable playing or that I'm writing. I'm not writing for myself. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And and of course, I hope everybody knows that wasn't what I meant. We're not writing for ourselves. Right. But but, we are writing of ourselves. Exactly. Like we're, we're able to perform all, I mean, like internally. We're able to perform all of these, <laughs> all of these characters that we're creating that we would never have a chance to to perform on stage. I mean, do you? Well, I won't ask you if you. I will just share that I like if I'm writing something really sad, I'm absolutely crying while I'm writing it. Uh, I I without question. I am also super emotional when I write really sad stuff. Uh, I will say that that is not as bad for my marriage to my husband as when I'm writing really angry characters. Oh, well, you should never do that. Because that comes through. Please always write angry characters, please. That that comes through in such an interesting way. And usually Uh about like two weeks into the writing process, my husband will be like, you're writing somebody who's pretty angry right now, aren't you? And I'm like... (laughs) I mean, you think that by now you would offer that ahead of time. I don't think about it. I know. it doesn't occur it. to me that it, that this stuff right. bleeds into into how I feel about everything from day to day. I usually yeah. think that I'm masking it pretty well, and then he'll call me out, and I'm like, "Ooh, that is <laughs> that is astute." Mm. Yes, <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, so um, here's a, an interesting question for you. All right. Given the state of the world as it is right now, and by right now I mean. Uh, October 
2020. Oh boy. Yeah. Like right now, like right now. Okay. Has your writing changed in any way? I mean, you know what? Let's take it back to 2016 with the current uh, resident of the Oval Office, whose name I shall not mention. Um, has your writing over the last four years shifted with the current political situation we're in? Uh, no, is the short answer. Mm. Um, the longer answer is I have a play that I started writing, oh gosh, quite a long time ago, like 2011, maybe? I don't know. I started writing this thing a long time ago. Um, and it's the it's still my most political play. And it's not a play about politics at all, but it is a play that sort of looks at where, and it, sadly, it has grown more and more relevant. Um, and that's why I play Drop of Kindness. Uh, but, uh, but no, I, 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 have al- I have always been and remain uh, a burst writer, as we euphemistically call ourselves, rather than a writer of daily practice. I don't write every day. I write when I, I pretty much write when I feel like it, with the understanding that your brain is always doing the writing in the background and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, so that, like, that hasn't changed. I don't think my point of point or points of focus um, have really altered particularly. Um, but I will say I haven't started a new piece since uh, COVID ah. um, because I'm not interested to. Right. Uh, is it you're not interested to or you have the COVID block? I mean, I'm sure that's, I mean, I guess they're the same thing, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe my lack of interest is that I'm blocked and I don't particularly want to deal with it. I mean, I've written two or three short pieces deliberately for a presentation on Zoom. Right. Um, and that was sort of a fun challenge early, early in this. Um, I, uh, and I have things that I'm working on. So I've been working on those days are over, obviously. Right. Um this year and we'll con- and I'm continuing to do that uh as as AMPF approaches. Uh and I'm wor- I'm adapting an older play of mine. In fact, my previous Ashland New Plays Festival play, The Insidious Impact of Anton, I'm adapting into a screenplay. Well, that's cool. So I have things that I am working on, but I but I haven't like broken ground on a new on a new play. Um you say that as if you've broken ground on a new novel. No, God, no, <laughs> no, no. I'm just trying to think about like, is that if I, and I don't feel it imminent, but you never know. Yeah. You, know, you never know. And you don't have to. I mean, when it comes, it comes. I mean, I came up with a title and then that's one of those things where you're like, great, what's the title going to get me? Anytime I try to work from a title, it, it has yet to, to pay rich dividends, but it's better to have something in your brain than nothing, I guess. Better to have a maybe than, a, than not have anything. Totally. So, yeah. I, um, what about you? I struggled at the beginning of the pandemic. I'll tell you that. You know, from from the get-go, my work has has increased in its uh, sort of political messaging in a way that, that surprised me because it was never really something I was interested in. Um, and I'm finding that I'm so much more curious about uh, sort of the effects of a political life. Uh, and when you say a political life, do you mean a life... In politics? No. I mean, a life as a, as a being with, for, 
who is uh, imbued by a, a political perspective, whatever yep. that happens to be. And Got it. there is, uh, it, it was a, a bit of a realization um, that being queer is a political act simply by virtue of being out oh, uh, yeah. is a political act um, in a way that I hadn't really thought about it prior to the current administration, that, that it was a, it was a personal thing. It has nothing to do with the outside world, but it, it very much has to do with the outside world. And the outside world is very much affected by out queer people. Um, and I, I have a play that I've been working on that's about, um, protests and liberal protests specifically. Um, and it's a, it's a, a little bit about the things I love about activism and a little bit about the things I'm terrified about activism. Um, and uh, one of the one of the the pieces of it, um, one of the scenes talks about sort of the queer impact of activism. How queer activists are really at sort of the center of all liberal activism. All left wing activism is spearheaded by queer activists because everything touches the queer community. Um, mm. uh, but yeah, I I become a lot more interested in exploring my own sort of politics and my own fears about politics and my political beliefs in my work. Um, I don't, I don't want to say that zero is not, it's not a political play by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I do think that there are, it touches on sort of the, um, one of the major themes is addiction. And that is something that's happening in our country right now is this epidemic of, of, uh, of opioid addiction. Um, one of the major themes of zero is apathy uh, and not caring about oh, other boy. people. Wow. Right. That's yeah. hugely political. And it didn't that have to be. Very, it's very political and it's very, very present. Right. Yeah. Uh, so those are, those are things that I'm thinking about there. It's not surfacing in a way that says this play is about politics. It's surf- right. I mean, not like the protest play, the protest play is freaking political, but this, most of my, the work that I'm doing right now is trying to sort of uh, tell the story that I want to tell. And as I'm telling it, I'm realizing that it's more political than I think I even intended when I started it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think the thing that is on my mind this year uh, is, hmm, if I have to pick one, because everything is on my mind this year, because everything mm-hmm. is on everybody's mind this year, which yeah. is why I think we we re- react with apathy sometimes. There's too many things. There's a lot. There's so many things. Not that that's an excuse. It's the worst, but um, it's true for me. But my biggest point of... Uh, itch is uh, is the long overdue focus on Black Lives Matter, and 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 where that stretches out to, of course, um, Black trans lives in particular. Um, and I, I just that we have that we're still that we're still such an immature nation, um, and it's not just the United States, of course. No. I- um, but but it's just the thing that is it can't not it is I mean I have been actually interested in race and ethnicity um, in America for for an awfully long time it's just something that for some reason my filter uh, my personal you know uh, panning filter in the in the river 
that stuff stays. Yeah. Um, and, and then this year happens. And, and I will say as a white writer, even as a, as a gay man, uh, as a white male, cis male writer, I look at the culture and think, um, not that I'm going to not write, I'm going to keep doing my work, but, uh, but I, I get that maybe my voice is not the voice that is, uh, the, the, I certainly, I can't, uh, and don't want to, um, indulge in trying to tell stories of other, of the other, um, right. I'm too dumb. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't have the bandwidth, the knowledge, and it would be incredibly ridiculous for me to try to appropriate those stories. Yeah. Um, but being respectful of race and ethnicity and exploring race and ethnicity and what it means and so forth is very interesting. And it's one of the things that actually Ashley New Place Festival and um, the incredible director I'm working with, her name is Jennifer Chang, um, that one of the things that we have been talking about from day one uh, is how race and ethnicity impact a what is a family story. Yeah. So that's been that is something that I'm so excited about for the week of the festival. Um, I think that's to, wonderful to get the opportunity to to look at that. That's my that's my sort of biggest wish for the for the for AMPF 2020 is that I is that I get um, that I get to surround. Well, I know I will. I'll be surrounded by uh, valuable collaborators who have insights on things that I don't. That is that's the best. The best thing. That is the best part. Of this experience, I, I mean, having gone through it fairly recently, uh, you know, uh, two years ago, um, the the opportunity just to work with uh, the talented performers and director and um, and even the the I'm still really close with the the young woman who read our stage directions for my piece. She's the oh. reason. She's the reason that my play got selected because she was on the reading committee and she fought tooth and nail for it. Shout out to Mary Claire. Um, Yay, Mary Claire. But uh, it, it uh, those relationships, I mean, are are really one of the best reasons to do a festival like AMPF. I mean, workshopping the play is workshopping the play with with people who know what they're doing, who come in ready to work, who are excited to work on on the piece that you're working on, and who are interested in diving in and exploring all of the the nuance and the the tone of the piece and the cadence of the piece and, um, and the, you know, pulling apart the language. What does this mean? Why do I say this? Uh, it is, uh, so valuable. The time in the room with, even if the room is a virtual room, absolutely. The time in the room is worth so much more to me than, uh, I, I shouldn't say this. Then the presentation, right? The presentation is an opportunity for an audience to ex explore my work for approximately two hours. And I'm so glad that they're there. And I'm so interested to hear their reaction when we can be in a room or to read their reaction if they're able to comment via Zoom or YouTube. Right, I'm not right. exactly sure how this is going to work. But, um, but the time that's really exciting to me is the time when I get to be in in a rehearsal with professionals who love the piece and who are just, just want to give everything they can to make sure that it is a success. Yeah. And, and it's, uh, you know, we, we write a, we write a number of applications, don't we? When we submit our plays, Ian, are you well, familiar with the process? I, oh. I try to submit to a hundred different opportunities every year. 
I have a spreadsheet. Oh, is, that, is that like a literal goal for you? It's a literal goal for me. Oh, uh, so it's a, vari- a variety of plays. Uh, last year, I was able to get 97 because I... That's fantastic. I slacked off. Um, this year has been a lot tougher. I think I'm at 50 right now because pandemic. That's still extraordinary. So shut um, up. But no, I don't shut up. That's, that is fantastic. But it is, there is something where if we do get selected for one of these festivals or one of these competitions, uh, I don't think people realize how competitive it is that selecting our plays out of 400, 450, 500 plays is, yeah, that's extremely, um, I mean, that's a huge vote of confidence for us, but the odds were never in our favor. It's so true. Um, but uh, to to loop back to writing those those many you know the application process yeah um, most of the time or much of the time you know we're asked to speak to what our goals are yeah um, for the for the play for that particular opportunity what have you and and I I basically now default to I want people to. T- I want other people to tell me stuff I can't figure out on my own because that's what that's what helps. Yeah, that's what is helpful is somebody who isn't me looking at something and saying, well, what about this? That's something I would never have thought of. This is why dramaturgs are so important. It's my yes. And I would say um, that a dramaturg can be anybody. A dramaturg can be an actor. A dramaturg can be a director. A dramaturg can be a designer. A dramaturg can be an audience member. Although there are people yeah. who studied dramaturgy and they are very valuable. There certainly are. I'm just saying a good idea. Yes. That flash can come from can come from any source. But I also agree with you. Working with a with a dramaturg is uh it's so luxurious. It, it, it does feel luxurious. It's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's like working with an editor before your work gets published. It's it's like it's somebody who's invested in your voice being heard, uh, mm. who who knows how to uh, frame um, critique uh, in a way that doesn't diminish what you're attempting to do, but instead uh, enhances what you're attempting to do. That's really that's just that's gold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think we actually probably have to start. Wrapping up, David. No! I've just flung everything off my desk in rage. Well, uh, it didn't make any noise, so I don't uh, know. Well, I did I did it in a virtual way, I guess. <laughs> I guess you have a virtual desk that you flung everything off with your virtu- virtual right. arms. That's right. Well, this has been such an absolute pleasure speaking to you and... No, likewise. And hanging out, and I can't wait to like sit on my sofa and watch those days are over and, and learn about the, the McKillop sisters. And uh, I'm just really excited to experience your play. Thank you. And I, I am so excited for zero that I have not reading it. <laughs> don't read you it. know what I mean by that, right? It's I like, do. I just don't want to know. I want to get, I want to be surprised fully. And it's so rare that we get a chance to sort of see each other's work without having, I mean, reading it in advance is, 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 can be great. It can be a wonderful experience, but there's something really exciting about just knowing I, I love David Hilder's work and I'm just so excited to be able to sit and experience this for the first time on my own 
Well, maybe with a loved one. Uh, <laughs> if you make if you make him attend, that's right. You don't have to. I I don't always make him attend. Sometimes I do. Yeah, but, but this was great. Your call, flip of a coin. Uh, thank you, Ian. This has been just so much fun, and thank you, Ashley New Place Festival for uh, for picking us. Yep. Right. And yep. for and for bringing us together for this podcast, and for keeping us, and for keeping us. <laughs> this has been a presentation of Ashland New Plays Festival. Our podcast is produced by Andy Neal and Kara Quinn Lewis, with written content edited by Carol Florian. To learn more about AMPF and how you can support New Plays, visit us at ashlandnewplays.org on the web, or at Ashland New Plays on social media. If you like what you heard. Leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you.